Father God, in this fascinating passage, the end of Second Peter and the end of the world, a big shout out to the second coming and the final judgment. Lord, let it do its work to motivate us to godly living. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how are you guys with surprises? Do you like them? I guess that would depend on uh, what we're talking about and what kind of surprise it is, right? Uh, maybe birthdays. It's popular to uh, plan a surprise party for somebody. And I, I should say try to plan because usually it fails. <laughs> Someone inevitably uh, spills the beans intentionally or not something happens to let the cat out of the bag and the person will find out and then ends up trying to have to act like they're totally surprised maybe not to hurt anybody's feelings right but there's one event that's coming and the bible says that no one's going to let the cat out of the bag on this one because it's god who's holding the bag and it's god who's planning the surprise on a world that's rejected him because those who know him and his word have heard the news already. He's coming to save his people and judge the world. And so we're talking, of course, about what poet Yeats called that one far off divine event toward which all creation moves. Uh, I just love that quote. As you may have noticed, I use it from time to time because it captures that unstoppable quality, that predestined uh, nature of the second coming. I mean, the apostle Peter has been saying here, uh, you can deny it, you can ignore it, you can mock it, Peter says, but you can't stop it. And now it's only a, you know, a handful of hours closer to happening than when we first woke up this morning. Uh, it's going to happen. And that's the gist of Peter's closing words as he concludes his letter here in chapter 3. He's exhorting believers in light of the knowledge that God privileged us with how uh, the world comes to an end in, in graphic detail. Uh, that, and he's done that in order to help motivate us to a godly um, zeal for living right with God. You know what it says, the fear of the Lord, by the fear of the Lord, a man avoids and departs from evil. You, so, as you see, so these words that are so intense and so uh, stunning, uh, they do just that. They work in our hearts to say, hey, I've got to evaluate some things in light of this reality. So what we're going to do is we covered one through nine already. So we're, I'll just give you the context. He said, really, they like to mock the second coming and final judgment, um, but uh, it's to their own demise uh, because it's going to come because God is a just God. And so that's really the point is, is that God in his justice wants every sin and every evil deed paid for. He's offered a way to escape judgment by justly paying for them through Christ and then offering them free of charge, offering salvation, I should say, free of charge to anyone who trusts in Jesus so that he can justly 
let sinners come into heaven because all our sins have been paid for. But these words, the fearful ones, are for those who have rejected the offer to be reconciled to God through the blood of Christ and and have elected for self-pay. They're going to stand before God who's just, who needs to judge those sins. And he judged them on his son or he'll judge them on the one who's not in the son. And so that's the gist of here. We're going to pick up now in verse 10 and we're going to go from verse 10 to 18. But the day of the Lord, that means the second coming, the second coming will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The heavens, meaning the constellations, the solar system. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Answer, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to that day of God. Same thing as day of the Lord, judgment day, second coming. And speed, it's coming. That's an amazing thought. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward with great joy to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own demise destruction therefore dear friends and this is a ps it won't be a full-blown point uh dear friends since you already know all of this be on your guard so that you may not be carried away hijacked by the error theological error non-biblical thoughts of lawless people they don't have any respect for boundaries of the truth of the gospel. They're lawless. They can say whatever they want. They can teach whatever they want. Don't be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position of a gospel-loving Christian person. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. And all God's people said... All right, awesome. So Peter is saying now, if that day's coming, and if you want that day to go well for you, uh, whether he appears for us or whether we appear before him in our death, uh, if you want that day to go well, there are three things he closes out with that would be helpful. Number one, he says, take life seriously in view of the intensity of how God steps into human history and brings the whole world into its God-appointed end? Oh my goodness, take life seriously. 
And number two, concentrate on your relationship with the Lord. Because either when you die and you stand in his presence or he appears for the church, it's really about wanting to be found right with him. You know? Uh, So that's verses 14 through 16. And thirdly, guard your heart from heresy, which is the PS at the end there. You know, if if your map quest is throwing out uh, uh, directions that are off, you're not going to get to your desired destination. So the PS is really important. Uh, Keep yourself um, clinging to the truth of the gospel. So let's get to it. Verses 10 through 13 now appearing uh, before you. So he's saying there in verse 10, in spite of God's patience and the word, remember last week, he's long fused. Even though he's long fused, uh, it doesn't mean that his patience is inexhaustible, that there's a day that's coming that will be sudden, decisive, and come stealthily like the way a thief sneaks in to steal. Now, the day of the Lord by now should be a familiar phrase. It's a little confusing because the day of the Lord is an umbrella term that has really four ways, four distinct events uh, included. And so when you say the day of the Lord, some people can get a little confused. When you say the second coming, you're saying that. So let, let me show you the, th- the four events that the day of the Lord covers and includes. Here they are. The rapture of the church, the great tribulation, the second coming, the millennial kingdom. So let's start with the rapture of the church. I was just going to tell you this. So God is planning to um, come and judge this world and do away with the earth and the constellations as we just read. But before he does that and pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world, he removes his people in something called the rapture. Now, when you say the second coming, you are talking about phase one the rapture. Though normally when you say second coming, we picture the Revelation 19, Armageddon, Jesus appears with the armies of heaven, uh, battle. But you can also mean the secret, the invisible coming that the world doesn't see, the trumpet sounds, and God's rescue, his evacuation of the church happens. First Thessalonians chapter 4, we get caught up. And the word for caught up in the Latin is rapturo, where we get the word rapture. So we're promised by the Lord's own words and by the New Testament and by prophetic prototype in the Old Testament that before worldwide cataclysmic judgment comes, that God rescues his people who are right with him through their faith. That's the rapture. And that's part of the second coming. The second word there is the great tribulation. Judgment day, or you think of it as the apocalypse, right? So when the Old Testament, there's about 12 passages. If you Google uh, the day of the Lord, you're going to get a description of the great tribulation. So, uh, But you're still saying all the same thing. The great tribulation turns out judgment day. 
is described all the, the same way. Black smoke, fire, the constellations shaking, the earth dissolving, and, and God's wrath poured out on sinners. This is the message of the day of the Lord and the means by which God judges the earth and brings human history to an end so that he can appear and establish his own kingdom. And so that great tribulation starts in Revelation chapter 6 and goes all the way through Revelation 19, 21 judgments from heaven that bring the earth and all its inhabitants to an end, you see. And so that's called the Great Tribulation. Now, when it culminates after seven years, it culminates in the event of what we call the Second Coming, which can also be called the Day of the Lord or the Day of God, or as it's called in the New Testament, the appearing. It just is parousia in the Greek, which is actually an English word now. It's translated over, mostly just uh, people at seminaries say it, uh, but the parousia is the appearance, you see. And so when you say the parousia, you're talking about that where it says, behold, he appears in the clouds and every eye shall see him, and the whole earth will mourn because of him. That's Revelation chapter 1. And the reason the whole world mourns at the parousia is the whole world sees, uh-oh, that's Jesus who I opposed in my life, who I took the mark of the beast to avoid. So it's a bad day for Christ rejectors, and it's a wonderful day for those who have been reconciled to God. It's a great joy. Why? Because all of evil will be defeated. Death will be swallowed up. And now he's going to make a new earth and new constellations. And it's going to be a world that works. How wonderful is that, right? So a great cause. Now, the millennial kingdom is once he returns and Armageddon happens, um, he establishes a thousand-year reign. Human beings are the survivors of the tribulation, will go in and start this new kingdom, and the curse is lifted, the earth is renewed, everything's changed. And so that's a thousand years. So when you say the day of the Lord, on a positive note, you could be talking about the thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come is millennial kingdom. That's his kingdom, right? So that's why it's a tad confusing, but now that we got that out of the way, um, we can talk about what this verse is saying. So verse 10, verse 10 is saying the, the one of the aspects is, is the great tribulation. So when it says the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the day of the Lord here means the great tribulation on a Christ-rejecting world. And uh, man, oh man, it's going to be awful, cataclysmic judgment, the type that you can't even fathom. Uh, when he says the heavens, he's talking about the universe. You know, the constellations, the galaxies. He says they're all going to be on fire and they're going to be burned up. Wow, that's a wow. 
So a little bit of smelling salts there for us. Uh, there, you know, smelling salts, right? The old school back in the day. If somebody fainted, uh, people had smelling salts, and what they would break a capsule, and it would be ammonia smell, and it would irritate the nasal lining and cause you to, to what is that? You know, like wake up, right? Nowadays, actually, they're they're getting a comeback, and and. Athletes, professional athletes, use them in the game to just kind of wake themselves up a little bit, like it gets them going, right? Uh, so one scholar was saying, this is like smelling salts to somebody who's just kind of doing their thing, drifting along, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, wow, uh, this is pretty serious. And that's why I call this point, take life serious in light of being privileged to know from God's word What's coming down? So he says uh, the the heaven the the heavens here that disappear, and whenever he says there'll be a new heaven or the old heavens will be destroyed, it's never God's abode of heaven. It's there are three heavens referred to in the Bible. The first heaven is the sky where the birds fly. The second heaven is the 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 Outer space, the constellations, the universe. The third heaven, which Paul calls the third heaven, he calls paradise, it's God's abode that never needs to be destroyed and it never needs to be redone. It's perfect. So whenever you hear the term, even when it's singular, heaven, a new heaven, it's not the heaven where God's throne is and the paradise and presence of the Lord. It's the solar system. And why does the solar system need to be burned to a crisp? It's part of the old order. So God's going to lump the whole time of evil and corruption and Lucifer falling, that whole thing, he's going to say, let's do away with that whole thing and make a new order of things, a new earth and new constellations that have never been stained with sin. You see, that's the idea there. So uh, these stunning truths here uh, are incredible. I mean, he says uh, three things in this first opening sentence. The heavens will disappear with a roar. It's a terrible sound. One writer said it's an alarming description. This word roar in the Greek, it's associated with the rushing of many waters like a flood, the rumbling thunder of a storm, the crackle of a flame, you know, wild wildfire, uh, the lash as it descends. An arrow that whizzes through the air, the hiss of a snake. And the commentator says, uh, Peter has made a deliberate choice of that word uh, to unite all such menacing associations, to quote him, into one horrible, terrifying event. Yeah, terrifying for the world, but we're in the third heaven. We're in heaven with the Lord, paid for by his blood, glorified perfected in our bodies, rejoicing that finally the old is gone, the new is coming. The second word, all the elements will melt down. Uh, commentators say, uh, probably referring to the elemental building blocks of life, earth, air, fire, water, everything's going to go up. One writer said the creator is now seen 
as uncreating, unraveling that which has become corrupt and no longer serves the purpose for which it was designed. In order, I love this part, to recreate a world that functions properly, physically, morally, and spiritually. Yeah. Thirdly, uh, the earth is laid bare. What does that mean? I've got two good scriptures because it's more figurative and spiritual than it's true, the earth is going to be laid bare. Uh, but this is the idea of being laid bare. Nothing in all creation, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare, same word, before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. In Luke's gospel, chapter 8, Jesus speaking, for nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. So Jesus is saying, look, on that day, there'll be no more secrets. Everything that was ever done on the planet and everybody who did them and everything in their hearts all open before the one that we must give an account to. Now, how about us? I'll tell you one thing that won't be there on that day is your secrets and my secrets. Oh, no, no, no. Because our secrets have been stained with the red blood of Jesus himself, who is the eternal son of God, equal to God in every way. God, in human form, spilled his blood to pay for those sins. So they are covered. So anything that's covered will not be uncovered. The only things that are will be uncovered as those that are not atoned for. That's what the word atonement means, literally, to cover. Kippur in the Hebrew, to cover, day of atonement is Yom Kippur, Yom Day Kippur to cover, you see. Uh, so that's what's going to happen. All of creation laid bare. Now, to the moral implication, verses 11 and 12. By the way, <clears throat> most anything God ever tells us about the future is done with a moral imperative afterwards. <clears throat> Excuse me. What I mean by moral imperative is... He doesn't just tell us stuff for the sake of telling us stuff. He tells us stuff like this to get our attention and then says, therefore, you should be holy and godly, living right, considering the fact that soon you may be standing before the Lord in whatever way you get there. As I've been saying, he comes to us or it won't be very long in a life that James says, what is your life? Your life is like a mist. It appears a little while, the sun comes out, poof, it's over, it's gone. And uh, then, then what? Then you're in eternity, and then you answer to the God who loaned you your life. That's where your life comes from. <clears throat> so he says, what's the big deal? He says, in secular thinking, the idea is if a train is coming, you get out of the way. If you've got an infection, you take the antibiotic. If the ship has hit a, uh, an iceberg, you get in the lifeboat. And that's the idea. He's coming. So you want to be found two words. One is living holy. Holy, 
a lot of people just picture it's so spiritual and religious. And it's like, how do I be holy when I'm just an ordinary person in an ordinary job? It's secular. Uh, holy really has the meaning of the word holy spelled W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy. Holy means where we get the word consecrated or sanctify, that they all come from the same word of holiness. It means your mind, your soul, your body is all yielded to God. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means you're totally surrendered. You love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. You don't have any reserve for your sin or for selfish um, ambition or whatever else. You're just wholly his. That's holy. Now, godly, of course, godly is there's a moral component to how you live your life and in every area of your thoughts your speech and your behavior, there's goodness, you know? And so we strive for that. The Holy Spirit helps us. We have two steps forward, three steps back. But godly just means, you know, the thought of seeing God face to face puts the fear of God on you so that instead of gossiping, you just keep a tight rein on your lips. <clears throat> And instead of indulging yourself in your darling sin, whatever it is, you abstain because of the fear of the Lord with this truth. I'm going to see God. It's going to happen. There's no wiggle room. There's no loophole. I, as a Christian, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We don't stand before the great white throne. The great white throne's at the end of the millennial kingdom for all the wicked who's ever lived. They've been kept in the abyss or in a place called Hades from, from Cain all the way to the end of the millennial kingdom. Those who perish and die are kept until the end of the age and then they're resurrected. And then the great white throne. Our judgment seat happens when we are raptured. There's a marriage supper and scholars say during the time on earth, during the seven years, we are being assessed and evaluated, not to condemn us, but to reward us. So all of the nonsense and all of our shenanigans and all of our sin is burned off, figuratively speaking. And what's left that was done right and in Christ is left as a reward. And then he hands out rewards and affirmations. And so... That's the reason we want to be not troublemakers, but peacemakers, not holding grudges, but quick to forgive, not being stingy, not investing. Here's the deal. He tells us these things so that we won't invest in a company that he knows is going to go belly up. So there goes your investment, right? So he's saying, invest your life knowing what's coming in the things that matter. So really what it is here is giving us a pause to evaluate our lives, to look at our priorities, to see where our affections are, to measure the temperature of our zeal 
for the things of the Lord in light of the fact that we have an appointment with him. Yeah, so I mean, (laughs) we turn the other cheek, we go the extra mile, we bless those who curse us. Why? Because the universe is ready to blow (laughs) and Christ is coming and he says, behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to their deeds. Wow, that's amazing. So uh, verse 12, sorry about that. Uh, We uh, see him saying, we don't just sit around waiting, dawdling, you know, twiddling our thumbs as we say, uh, but we look forward to the day to hasten its coming. Uh, One writer put it this way, as fantastic as that may seem, we can actually hasten his appearing. That is to say, the timing of the advent is to some extent dependent upon the spiritual fervor of our lives and the health of our churches. And that makes sense. Think about it this way. If you've got a task, his task is to seek and save the lost. That's a big task, right? If you've got a task in our point of view, Uh, And and that's kind of a daunting thing. The more helpers you have who are skilled, committed, passionate, show up when they should, take instructions well, share the same vision, don't have to be disciplined, they aren't late, they aren't on their phone, you know, all the time. Well, when you've got a team that's sold out, that's in sync with the person responsible for doing the entire task, that task He's going to get done faster, isn't it? That's his point. When the church universal is filled with the Holy Spirit and striving with him in step to to live on the first level, holy and godly lives, which causes us to disciple people better, to evangelize better, to pray, to push past uh, our spiritual laziness, Uh, and to obey him. You see, when we do these things, we are helping him achieve that goal. And don't overlook this. When we live sold out Christian lives, we're the happiest. And here's the secret why. Because unbeknownst to us, (laughs) it's why we were created. The reason you were created was to be sold out for God. Because He created you for him, right? So when you're wholly his and you're not striving for other things and and chafing at the bit kind of thing, man, that's when life is a joy. Mental health, emotional health, your effectiveness as a Christian, your happiness, you know, no. Are you always in a happy place? Of course not. We're Christians. We live in a world that that hates the Lord and hates absolute truth and takes it out on us. So we're not always comfortable, but we're always so blessed. We're always so blessed. And so uh, the idea is let's get it done. He rounds out his thought by repeating the intensity of the coming meltdown, if I can call it that. Uh, With some optimism, he just says, excuse me, yes, the earth is slated for destruction, but for the purpose of creating a better one, one that actually works. I love what King Solomon says when he looks around at the world. The Lord called him, 
the wisest man who's ever lived. He looked around at life on this world, and without a worldview of the Lord involved, he said, this is a crazy place. He said, nothing makes sense. Everything's meaningless. It's futile. Life is like chasing the wind. Are you ever going to catch the wind? No, you're not. And, and that's because the earth is out of order. It's out of order like a sign that says the vending machine is out of order, right? There's a, there's a sign hanging on the earth that says not working properly, out of order, and nothing is right. And he comes to rescue his people and judge the world so that he can do away with what's wrong and make the earth the place that he designed it to be. Ah, now he gives us, oh, of course, that makes sense. God cares about the world he created and he redeemed us by sending his son and he's got a plan, a good plan. So, yeah, Uh, 14 through 16, we're getting there, almost done. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Now, that sounds intimidating. But um, as I told the first services, that it's not really as intimidating. Now, if you've got a right heart before God, and you are just broken like the rest of us, but your heart is to obey the Lord, strive to do the right thing, walk with him, love him, you go to church, you serve, you try to be, bless other people. The three things that he just called out will be part of your life without you trying to zone in on those three things. So let me explain. First of all, he says, make every effort. It's strong language. It means, come on, it's God. You're going to see him face to face. Eternal destinies, eternal ramifications are hanging on your effort to make this work, to cooperate with God. So the amount of effort you put into a task shows you how important that task is to you, right? So I got convicted just saying that to you, you see? So it's kind of like when wisdom cries out in Proverbs, the Holy Spirit uh, allows wisdom to be personified like a person. And wisdom says, hey, you'll find me when you search for me like you would rubies or hidden treasure, quote. So how would you go about if somebody said, hey, your house is empty and we just put a million dollars in there. If you find it, it's yours. I think you'd make an effort. I would, you know. And, and and yet, something before God, from God's point of view, way more valuable than a million dollars. Wealth is a waste in the day of trouble. But righteousness delivers you from death. That's a quote from the Proverbs. And so... Yeah, so let me just say those three things. Spotless doesn't mean sinless, because check this out, 1 John 1. But if we walk in the light, so walking in the light just means being a Christian, heart's right, you know, just trying your best. 
as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We're, we're doing church. We're congregating. We've got home groups. We're a part of the church. And the blood of Jesus' Son purifies us from all sin. Okay, so we're sinning, but in the context of our congregational life, taking communion, confessing our sins, being called out by one another, uh, confessing and repenting of our sins, then what does it say? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Okay, so spotless doesn't mean sinless right there. It means walking with the Lord and God has made a provision for as you are sold out and walking with God, doing your best, that cleansing from sin comes. If you confess your, with your mouth your sins, he's faithful and just will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So that's what I mean by spotless and blameless. It just means you're not sinless perfection. It means your heart is right with God. The bent of your life is to obey him and be a blessing and strive. You're not living a secret, dark life somewhere. If you are, that's a problem. There's a, there's a miscommunication. There's some kind of uh, um, problem there that's not lining up. And so uh, there. Being found at peace with him is not what you think. Being found at peace with him that's not being talked about here is we're all at peace with him through the blood. If you are born again, you're at peace with God because of his blood. You will never be at more peace with him. Can I use this word salvifically? It means regarding your salvation. But here Peter's talking about be at peace with him relationally. Relationally means you're not grieving him. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You're not quenching him. You're not dragging your feet. This is what it means. When he appears, you don't want to be doing your little thing that he's been telling you. Stop doing that. You know? And, and I think we all have areas where we wander. Maybe it's a, it's a, we call it a besetting sin. A besetting sin is one that's like going to be around with you forever because it just, for whatever reason, it's there always. And you have to deal with it. It's gotcha. You know, and you kind of constantly have to live with it and die to it, right? So he's saying, live in such a way that you're not grieving him when you see him. The trumpet blows and you're off doing your thing. He goes, don't, don't let that, just, just live as if it's going to happen today so when you're prompted to sin, say, uh, not today, Satan. You know, like that famous t-shirt. I just saw some guy wearing a t-shirt, not today, Satan. I didn't really know what it meant, but it means, you know what, I'm just going to handle my sin nature daily one day at a time. And, and if I can just say, not today. I'm not going to ruin my marriage today. I, I'm not going to let that into my mind today. Oh, no, not today. Well, then you do it tomorrow. You do the same thing. And then you find out he comes on a day that you're doing that instead of embracing it. That's what that verse means, okay? Uh, can I quote this beautiful hymn? Nothing between my soul and my savior, so that his blessed face may be seen. Nothing preventing the least of his favor. Keep the way clear 
let nothing um, between. So spotless, blameless, and in peace uh, with him means you're unhindered by unconfessed, unrepented sin. That's the point. Verse 15, uh, he has to um, defend Paul because the false teachers of his day and 2,000 years later of our day attacked the gospel by attacking Paul because the gospel really elaborated through the apostle Paul the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, 13 New Testament books. So the false teachers who want to trip up these uh, believers are are going after Paul's writings. And so he has to uh, defend him. So first he does say, he repeats a thought, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Uh, That means, listen, every day that the rapture doesn't happen is a day of salvation somewhere on the planet that that the angels in heaven rejoice. So you may be stressed out and saying, Lord, how long? Come on, let's do this. Every year we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And this day, today, someone's getting saved today and not left behind to endure the great tribulation. Now, speaking of that, we've got a beautiful opportunity this week. Somebody called the church from Chattanooga, a Christian, and he says, uh, listen, I've got a brother. He's 80. He's very sick. He's in one of your hospitals in Santa Rosa. I just found you online. Would somebody go and check in on my brother? So a couple of us went. We met him. We hit it off with him. Funny. He's really smart, but not a believer. And uh, so I prayed for him in his situation. And I went back again, met his wife, lovely people. Still, no thank you. So I thought he went home. So I hadn't seen him for a week. So And I thought, he's gone, right? But I was driving by Sutter, and I just thought, um, I'll go in and look. And I walked in the door and I said, you're still here. And he said, oh, I'm glad to see you. He goes, "Uh, but today's my last day. I'm going home today. So you would have missed me, but today you got me. He said, well, there's only one thing I can do is go into hospice. And uh, I said, well, you're going to meet God. And he said, I am. And I said, I took my hand and I put it on on his chest and said, with your sins on you. Your sins are on you. I kept doing that. Your sins are on you. That doesn't make any sense. All right, you know what the Bible says. Yes, I do. My brothers told me. And, and, my, and my other brother. And my other brother. And my sister. Yeah. And I said, well, what's the holdup? And he said, I got a couple of things. I said, let's talk about them. So we talk about them. And he goes, hmm. And he paused. He looked off. And he goes, let's do this. I, well, yeah, first God, huh? Now, the reason I tell you this, and what a, just he, I could see the light come on, like, I want this. And we, after I led him in prayer, he goes, I feel a lot more peace now. Amen. Well, yeah, because your sins are off of you. They were on Jesus. You're safe to die. Now, let's say Jesus came back three weeks ago. And the church was raptured, which very likely can happen. Where would he be? 
It'd be in his bed, in that bed, in his sins, and officially in the great tribulation. That's where he would be. But God had a plan to include him in Christ. You see? Now, one of these days, someone's going to hit the jackpot and be that last person. And uh, God's got a number. Who knows why or how, but he's got a number. And things seem to be lined up in the world to meet the conditions. And so we look forward. But just, he says, bear in mind, if it didn't happen today, God's at work saving people like the man I just talked to you about. Praise God, right? So, yeah, about Paul. So you'll be surprised to find out that what they were distorting and the word for to distort or pervert is the word where you get uh, to be stretched or tortured that when they put people on the rack and hook up their arms and their feet and then pull and stretch. So the idea is they're torturing the scriptures, pulling them out of joint uh, and not going about interpretation, a solid biblical exegesis, as we would say. No, they just get in there and start tearing things apart. And so the reason he's saying, listen, admittedly, which is a comfort to our hearts, that even Peter found Paul uh, to be difficult reading. He said, but the false teachers use Paul's scholarly academic style that's above all of our heads to make a move. So the false teachers came in and said, um, that verse, there's a lot of ambiguity there. Let me tell you what it really says. And so the scholars point out that the place that they really targeted was to do what they're doing today, making the gospel more progressive. So the Gnostic version of the gospel was very much like what we call deconstructing today. So it's taking out all of the boundaries of sin, the need for repentance, you know, and so what the point there is, is that they would distort Paul's words uh, so that they themselves could live sexually immoral lives and then gain more popularity with followers because it's what people want to hear. God is love, no need to repentance. There's no second coming. Would a God of love destroy the earth? He loves the earth. And so that's what they were doing, stretching and pulling and crippling uh, the text of the Bible. So Peter has to defend Paul admiring his wisdom and saying, look, admittedly, a little difficult some passages, but it's the word of God and you need to embrace it as such and ignore those who want to twist. Did God really say, does that verse really mean that? So let's finish up with the PS there. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know these things, that's kind of a little bit of a slam. It can be. You know these things. Can you live like you know them? You already know, since you already know this, uh, so, so you need to be on guard so that you may not be carried off by these guys who come in, which they've done, and uh, messed up things. I can say anything I want. I can teach anything I want. That's what lawless means. And fall from your secure uh, position there. So, yeah. Um, so 
guard yourself, care about your soul, get in touch with, with the self-preservation of your soul that God gave you. Inside everybody is a, a desire to be safe, right? So let that desire do some work by the way you guard yourself uh, from hearing things that are worldly and not uh, biblically sound. So, you know, so that you're not carried away, the word is to be dragged off. So, you know, so he, he's saying, don't be kidnapped by the TikTokers, all right? The 30 seconds of like, oh, they're attractive and it sounds so nice and sweet and they've got a million followers and how many likes? He says, don't do that. You don't want to be hijacked by bloggers or shipwrecked by a TED Talk. I used to be a Christian and I was in a famous Christian worship band. And now I've seen the light and I know, and, and I've taken a lot of flack for it. Uh, but let me lead the way into a new way of understanding God's beautiful love. And it's not as narrow. It's not as judgmental. There's not so such need to repent, 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 because this God is coming with fire, you know. Oh, he is coming with fire. It's in the Bible. So you can't explain it away. So he's saying, just because somebody comes to you with smooth talk, do you want them to carry you off, capture you with that, and then you shipwreck your faith, you see. So, yeah. So the PS is about getting your instruction for your life from the Word of God. All right, because if the instructions are off, like I said in the beginning, uh, you know, if Siri is saying, you know, turn right, turn left, turn left, turn right, and she's off, which has been the case sometimes, right? You you, you don't arrive at the place you thought you were going, you see? And in this case, if you followed the false teachers, boy... It could be worse than being confused and lost. The ramifications are grave. Uh, one time we were <laughs> driving in Scotts Valley when when uh, GPS just came out, and uh, we're coming over Highway 17, and the voice comes on. I'm not driving. I'm a passenger, and the voice says, "Exit on Gulch Canyon Road." You know, gulch is like a ravine, right? And it got stuck. And it kept saying, exit, gul gul gulch canyon road. Exit, exit, gulch canyon road. And, and I was like, that's so much like the devil. You know, the devil's always saying, exit into the ravine, into the ravine, into the ravine. I'm telling you the truth. That's where you should go. You see, so this is what happens if you would follow uh, false teaching. So it's really important. Uh, he says, if you fall for the lies, it'll make you as unstable as the teachers who are spewing forth the nonsense. And so I'm going to close with this illustration, and I'm going to recommend a series on Netflix for you. It's very binge-worthy. Um, it's called Unchained. It's uh, Tour de France. It's uh, 2022. I've got a picture of two cyclists there. Um, and it, it follows these guys. Now, I can't help but see the parallel between their race and wanting to win 
and the scriptures that, that compare in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 our walk with the Lord as a race set before us, you see? And he, and he says, run in such a way to win, win the race, right? So these guys, when you're watching, everything is worth that last uh, winner's circle stance. But what you see in the documentary is them waking up at 3, mm-hmm. 3.30. Why? Because they got to get in 50 uh, miles <laughs> before sunup. Their diet, every mouthful, they, they, they've got it down to a science. Why? They push themselves, these men, agony, just agony. Why? To win an earthly prize, as beautiful as it is. I admire them. I, I love to see what they're doing. It's amazing, and it inspires me. But you know what? I mean, compare that to Paul saying, don't you, and I'm quoting, don't you realize, he says, that those who run in a race, only one wins. Do you want to come in third or fourth? No, the race you're running is against yourself and what God's plan for your life was. And so you want to come in first. So Paul says, run your race to win first prize. That might mean some costly disciplines and some saying no's and some sacrifices. Uh, But when you're standing there on that day and he looks at you and says, well done, man. It will be worth it. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you for the heads up that uh, this world isn't going to go on uh, forever in this condition, but you are a God of justice and love and mercy, patience. And one day you're going to step in and uh, rescue your people and judge this world and recreate it so that it will be uh, as you designed it to be the goodness and righteousness and peace and everlasting joy. We look forward to that, God. So thank you for the fear of the Lord, which can help us to depart from worthless things, distractions, and sin, so that we could be holy, blameless, botless before you, at peace with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.